Please pray with me. Father, I pray that we would hear the words of your Son. And I pray that we would be drawn to him. Amen. It's good when I look at my watch and it's 9.15 and I go, that's an extra five minutes. I'm just kidding. Not really. (laughs) The offer that Jesus makes in verse 28 of Matthew 11, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, is one that we hear regularly on Sundays. It's one of that set of comfortable words that is said after the absolution of sin, Sunday after Sunday. And behind that offer lies a very simple truth. We often carry burdens that exhaust us and overwhelm us. In a certain sense, I hesitate to talk about myself, but I think there's some value in concretizing that idea. A lot of y'all know that the spring of 2007, right after our oldest son was born, I got nailed by anxiety. It was one of those moments in life when you get brought down. When day after day, it was all that I could do to go through the ordinary patterns of the day. And for several years, I cried out to the Lord for deliverance from this. It went on and I fought against it. It went on and it fought against it. And in the good weeks, it was two or three days. And in the bad weeks, it was every day and every moment. Eventually, four years into that pattern, I hit the point of like, I can't fight this anymore. I need help. And so I went and saw a psychiatrist, and she was modestly helpful in helping me learn techniques to deal with it. And I took medication, and that was actually a lot more helpful than the psychiatrist. But I continued to fight against it. Four years in, though, there was this moment when I woke, and it was like chains had been lifted off my shoulders. For no reason that I could discern, it was taken away from me. And I could feel myself standing up straighter, free. I didn't have any reason why that happened at that moment and not earlier. But it was like deliverance from a heavy burden had suddenly been given. The weird thing is, years later, it kind of returned in fits and starts and every now and then popping up its ugly head, but never with the severity that it had during those four years never with the overwhelming force. Again, I hesitate to talk about myself because this is not about me. This sermon is about Jesus. But I do tell you that story to concretize the fact that we come to the Lord carrying heavy burdens. Of course, not every burden is the same. Some people have the deep burden resting on them, many of us, of a sin that they just can't conquer, seeming losing the battle over and over and over. Some of us come with the burdens of dreams or expectations that we just can't relinquish. And they're way out in the future, and we know objectively we'll probably never get to them. Even if we did, I don't know that they would deliver, but we can't escape the burden of I should be doing this, or my life would be better if I had that. Some of us come with burdens of physical or emotional habits 
that saps the joy and the vitality out of our life. Some of us come with ways that we've been broken relationally. Bitterness, jealousy, ways that we look at others and it spoils the relationships that we long to make flourish. Scars that have been left on us because of things that people have done to us. Some of us come with self-loathing. The deep sense that we can't be loved. Either because there's some impossible ideal of perfection that we believe we're supposed to achieve or be because we've been hurt so badly by someone's words in the past that we just think that we are nothing and worth nothing. Some of us come with the burden of shame that we've done. Shame that we just can't rid our soul of. The burden of caring for someone who is struggling. We come with burdens. And Jesus looks at us. He looks at humanity. He looks at you and me and he says, come to me. Come to me if you're heavy laden and I will give you rest. This morning, more than anything, I want you to hear his voice. I want you to imagine him speaking directly to you, seeing you exactly as you are, seeing the things that you're actually carrying. And I want you to imagine him saying to you, I see you. I see that weight. Come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. The offer, the promise, the invitation is what I hope that we hear this morning. Look at what follows verse 28. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to examine these sentences carefully, parse them, because I think we can sometimes misunderstand the promise that's offered. In order to do it, we need to understand just very briefly the Jewish concept of the yoke. It was an ordinary metaphor for the Jews, and the yoke symbolized two basic things. The first is the idea that the yoke symbolized your master. It, this was usually used in an oppressive sense, and the master might be literal, or it might be metaphorical. Thus you see in Isaiah 58, this idea that there is a yoke of oppression on the backs of the poor. And when you look at the passage, that yoke of oppression, that master, is very specifically poverty and injustice. A yoke of oppression, a metaphorical master. You see in 2 Kings 12, when Solomon dies and his son Rehoboam is confronted by people asking him to lower the taxes and lower the rates of mandatory service, and they say that the yoke that your father placed on us was heavy, it was odious. This master that was Solomon and his taxes and his mandatory building programs. You see in Jeremiah 28, the rule of Babylon over Jerusalem described as a yoke. This is one of the ways that word was used by the Jews to denote a master. And it was usually an oppressive sense. The other way, though, the Jews used the word yoke to describe the very law of God itself, God's wisdom. And this is a positive sense of the idea of a yoke, because a yoke, yes, it's a burden placed on somebody crushing them down. But also, if you have to carry something very heavy, imagine two buckets full of water or stones, having a yoke across your shoulders that distributes the weight to your entire frame so that you're not holding it just in your arms. 
enables you to do a task that's far greater than you could do without it. The yoke, in other words, enables you to carry life. And in that sense, the Jews called the Torah, the law of God, a yoke. They called God's wisdom a yoke because God's law enabled them to carry life. Concretely, think about something like the law of the Sabbath. That law enabled people to carry life because it provided rest. It provided a chance to exist simply in faith rather than by more striving and more effort. That law itself helped them carry the burden of life. Those two ideas, the idea of a yoke as a master and the idea of a yoke as a law that enables you to carry life, sometimes bleed into one another in overlap. So in Acts 15, when the apostles are debating whether or not Gentile believers need to be circumcised, Peter stands up and he calls circumcision a yoke that they had not been able to bear themselves, and therefore it shouldn't be laid on the shoulders of the Gentiles. He uses the word yoke both in the sense of the law of God, but also in the sense of burden, a master that's oppressive. These concepts are what lies behind Jesus' declaration, take my yoke upon you. My point about analyzing this carefully is that in offering a yoke, Jesus is not saying your burdens will be whisked away. He doesn't say to me, come to me and everything will disappear. In offering the concept of a yoke, he's saying, let me be your new master. In offering the concept of a yoke, he's saying, take my law, my word, my wisdom, take my way of approaching life, and you will find that you could carry things that you previously could not carry. You see, this idea of a yoke is Jesus is saying, I would be your master. But he's also saying, my law, my word, my way, my wisdom, this will enable you to carry the burdens that you have in front of us. He's not promising that every burden gets disappeared. Instead, he's promising that under his lordship, we have means of carrying things that previously we could not carry. The result of letting Jesus be our master, the result of learning this new way of living, is rest. Rest to the depths of our soul. Rest even when the burdens of life continue. Rest even when things are just as stormy as they were before. It's a false hope, one that theologians call an over-realized eschatology. It's a false hope that says every burden will be taken away. It's a false hope that says accept Jesus and life will be easy. The reality is, is that we are still living in a fallen world. Our bodies and our souls still bear the marks and the scars of what sin has wreaked on the creation that God created. 2 Corinthians 4 is so instructive in this manner. And Paul says towards the end of it, the outer man is decaying day by day, and yet the inner man is being renewed day by day. We still suffer the decay, the oppression of a broken and fallen world. It's a false hope that says all those things will be whisked away the moment you accept Jesus rather than when he returns. And yet in the midst of them, Jesus says, take my yoke and you will find rest. Now, this is a bit of an aside, but it is important to state that there are times in the grace of God when Christians receive 
immediate and instantaneous freedom from a burden that plagues them. And the grace of God, that comes sometimes, and we should seek that and pray for that. Many can point to particular moments of sudden deliverance from a particular besetting sin when God just gave them the grace to overcome. But there are also moments when many of us would describe our battle with sin much more like Paul's words in Romans 7, a war that I'm waging and I frequently feel like I'm on the losing side of this battle. There are times when Christians experience a sudden freedom from the burden of shame over a past sin. A good friend of mine recounted a story to me a few months ago of a shameful burden that he had carried for years because of a decision that he had made. And he had prayed about it, he had talked about it, he had shared it with us and others. But then in one particular moment, when he was being prayed for, it just disappeared. There are people who can recount those moments in their life when the burden of shame was lifted away. But there's other moments that many of us struggle day in and day out to actually to believe the gospel applies to us. We have a pretty easy time believing it applies to someone else, but we wonder, am I really worth the love of God? Am I really forgiven? It's a struggle to believe the gospel. The reality is, is that some habits take years to break. Some particular false beliefs about ourselves are so deeply embedded that it may take years of prayer and good counseling to root that thing out, to pull it out of our souls. Sometimes the pattern is like the one that I experienced with anxiety, where I fought with it for four years to no avail, and then suddenly it was gone. And then it came back in little bits, recurring in small ways. There's different things that we experience. Sometimes God lets us understand why he removes a burden right away or why he doesn't. When the Jews entered the promised land, God said explicitly, I will leave some of the pagan nations there because each successive generation needs to learn warfare. And similarly, when we pray for deliverance from a particular enemy in our life, a besetting sin, sometimes God does not remove it right away because we need to learn spiritual warfare. We need to learn to fight to put to death the deeds of the body, to actually pray, to seek counsel and accountability. We need to grow up and fight against sin. Sometimes God leaves those enemies so that we would be stronger. Sometimes I think about Paul's example with a physical burden, the thing that he calls in 2 Corinthians the thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan sent to torment him, and he begs God to take it away. And God says no, because Paul needed to learn that God's power and grace were sufficient, that they would be perfected even in his weakness. God let him know why that burden was not removed. But there are many times when God doesn't tell us why it's not removed. It may be that we need to learn patience. It may be that we need to learn faith, hope in moments of darkness, that we need to learn to pray for real. There may be reasons behind it, and sometimes we know, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes the search for reasons is futile. Sometimes the reasons that we believe this is why God has left this are false. We don't always have the full wisdom of God coursing through our minds. Sometimes the burden still remains because honestly, we haven't availed ourselves of the means by which God would set us free. I think about that old story, the silly joke about the flood and the guy who was on the roof of his house as his house is surrounded by water, praying for deliverance. And the firemen come up in a boat and say, can we rescue you? And he says, no, I'm 
waiting for God to rescue me. Another boat comes up, can we rescue? And eventually when the man drowns in his heaven, he says, Lord, why didn't you deliver me? And he said, I sent you two boats. Sometimes we don't avail ourselves of the means that God has given us. Friends in the church, good counselors, spiritual directors, people who would pray with us, confession of sin. We privately carry our burden ourselves and wonder why it's not taken away. But there are other times when we avail ourselves of every means and method that God has given us, and the burden still remains. We don't always know why God does what he does. And Jesus doesn't promise in this passage, I will take every burden away. He also does not promise in this passage, I will let you understand why every burden that remains, remains. Those are not the promises made. Instead, he very simply says, if you come to me, if you take my burden, if you take my yoke, if you let me be your master, if you let my way of living be your way of living, my thoughts be your thoughts, my wisdom your wisdom, if you come to me with that humility, open-heartedness, and willingness, he said, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Again, the burden may or may not be removed in this life. In the new kingdom, all burdens will be wiped away, all tears removed, all will be freedom and health and life. In this moment, though, he says, come to me. So even in the midst, I give you rest. In hindsight, we look back and we realize that the reason why that rest is available is because when we come to him, he actually shoulders our burden with us and for us. In fact, we realize that he feels the weight of it more than we ever could feel. You feel like you feel the weight of a sin that you cannot conquer? The Lord Jesus is carrying that. You feel like you feel the weight of a relationship that you cannot fix? The Lord Jesus is carrying that. The rest that he offers springs from the fact that the weight of these burdens is on his shoulders, not ours when we come to him. We may still be in the midst of it, but he's bearing the weight for us. I want to close with what it actually means to come to him. Because there's times then that we want to eat our cake and still hold on to it. We want to come to him, but we want to come to him on our own terms. We want to come to him with the belief that we know the right way to organize our life, that we know best. Remember what he said in verse 25 of this passage. When Jesus was praying to the Father, and he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and have revealed them to little children. God hides his things. He hides himself, his gifts, his treasures, his wisdom, his rest itself. God hides his things from the wise and understanding. He only gives it to little children. This is not a denigration of wisdom. It's not a denigration of understanding. Throughout the scriptures, we see the wisdom and the understanding of God is prizes that we are to seek. Jesus is talking instead about worldly wisdom, worldly understanding. Bluntly, he's talking about people who think that they know better than God. He's talking about people who think, I get to set the terms of this arrangement. He's talking about people who say, 
I know better. This must be my way. And Jesus says in this prayer to the Father, the gifts of God are given freely, but they're given to little kids, to people who quit pretending that they know better than God. You see, this is what it means to come to him. When Jesus calls out and he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We say, how do we come? And the come, and this is all throughout the book of Matthew, the come is the coming of someone who says, I'm going to quit pretending that I know better than God. I'm going to let him correct me. I'm going to let him change me. The come is a free offer. But we can't expect to receive his gifts, his wisdom, his presence. We can't expect to receive the freedom that we long for from guilt and shame if we keep saying, yet my way has to win in the end, yet I know better in the end. It's only the little children, those who don't pretend that they're wiser than God, that Jesus says the treasures of the Father are open to. This is the offer that's on the table. All the treasures of God, His wisdom, His presence, His rest itself, freely offered through the Son to us. But it takes relinquishing our will. It takes relinquishing the sense that we know best. It takes coming to the Father and the words of the Beatitudes as beggars in spirit. People with open hands, open hearts, who know their own frailty, who know their own need. And to all who come like that, Jesus says, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Amen.